writer, mental health advocate, and bad student. Oh. Hi, I'm Gabby Dunn. I'm a writer, bicon, bisexual icon, wink, and my full name is Gabrielle. I know. I fully thought you were going to say bad Santa, and I don't know why. (laughs) That's not seasonally appropriate. I'm waiting for that one. (laughs) I am a bad Santa. However, we will have to wait until December to hear more about it. (laughs) <laughs> um, yeah, we were just talking about this before because don't you want to uh, hear why I'm a bad student? Sure. Why are you bad? I don't think you are a bad student. I haven't been doing my readings. Yeah. Okay. So let me explain. Bad student would be the person who's like, I burned my homework and now I'm riding off on a motorcycle or whatever. Your idea of bad student is like, I haven't read. Well, when I started this graduate program, I was like, there are people in my classes who don't do the readings. Why would you pay for a graduate program and not do the readings? I haven't been doing my readings. I don't have time for these readings. I don't find these readings interesting. I'm not doing them. I feel very burnt out. I'm not into my program and I don't want to do it anymore. And that's my truth. Well, Pepperdine, Mr. Pepperdine himself does (laughs) listen to this podcast. So he will. I will have to kick you out. Well, I just want to be open and honest about the fact I'm not enjoying my program right now. Who is mad at you for that? No, but I'm just saying because, look, maybe some people are out there and they're feeling like they're not enjoying school and they feel bad about it because I feel bad about it. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I should be enjoying school or something, but I'm just not. And maybe I'm just not liking my classes right now, or maybe I'm just feeling overwhelmed or maybe I'm having some sort of existential crisis. Sure. But I just I'm approaching finals and I'm just not interested and I don't want to do my work and I haven't been doing my readings and I don't like it. It's a pandemic. Like we don't have to care about anything. I can't believe that we do anything any day at all. I'm so mad at myself for like not writing enough, but it's like we're in a trauma. If you're listening, if you're out there and you're listening and your name is also Gabrielle and you also feel kind of attacked by that. Like, I want you to feel seen by me. (laughs) And I want you to understand that that is a very intense first name. And and I feel like if you don't, you know, fully match it, it is jarring. You're an expert about making things about you. I have to just (laughs) applaud you for what the maneuver that you just did. Because truly, (laughs) truly magnificent grade 180. You, of course, people don't want to be in school. Everything that you've been through in the last year, Allison, the fact that you're like, I haven't done my readings. Girl, you're like sitting up doing a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) And my legs are crossed because I dislocated my knee just a mere five weeks ago and my legs are crossed. So that's pretty cool. That means (laughs) I've got some real flexibility back. I'm walking, I'm moving, I'm on the elliptical. I've got range of, I've got range of motion. Gentlemen, she's got range of motion. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get to it. I'm off the market. But officially? I don't know. You're officially off the market? Maybe. <gasps> but but we're not allowed to say anything about him. No. Oh. Well, that was very exciting for me personally. <laughs> uh, and everyone else listening to the show gets to be like, but I want more. And you don't get it. And you don't get it. And that's, and that's a life lesson that you've had to learn. I was briefly on the market, very briefly, and then I'm off it. 
Well, I don't think it was that brief. I think you took a lot of time. I, I took time off dating. Yeah. But I then uh, the time that I re-entered the market was brief. <laughs> you re-entered the market to date. And then within like a very short amount of time, someone swam up and locked it down. Yes. <laughs> and that and that's why you got to move fast, people. Yeah. Well, because as a chapter in my book is all about, I know how to date productively. That's very true. You don't waste time. I'm not about it. I love to waste time. (laughs) I love it. I'm wasting so much time on this fucking girl right now. And I'm just like, this is my new hobby. I want to waste time on you. But it's not wasting time because our goals are different. Yeah. You have a primary partner. I have a primary partner. And then me attempting to uh, like make sense of the ebbing and flowing of sexual interest in me from a straight woman right now is just a little side project I'm working on. (laughs) Oh my God. We didn't even say what this show is. This is just between (laughs) us. A variety show filled with heartfelt advice, ridiculous games, and brutal honesty. So brutal. (laughs) I feel very vulnerable that I just revealed that. I don't know if I was ready to, but I did. That you're off the market? Yeah. Well, but I, you know, if people are listening to the show and they're like, I have a chance with Allison, I guess they should know. Oh my God, (laughs) Allison. Okay. Did you just burn yourself? (laughs) Just breathed into my tea and it went all over my face. Wow. Okay. So this is going to be really fun coming after that because (laughs) it was about you being desirable. So (laughs) on TikTok, there was this very funny TikTok that was like, queer Gen Z cusp millennials. And it was like, if you know any of these people, you're a a queer Gen Z slash millennial cusp person. And it was like all these different YouTubers. And then it was a picture of me and you. And it said both of them. And then people in the comments were like, oh my God, not my closeted gay ass being obsessed with Allison in middle school and (laughs) high school. It was all these people because everyone else in the clip was queer except for you. <laughs> and then it was people being like, oh my God, not my like sad middle school self being like, maybe one day Allison will date me. <laughs> and I was like, oh guys. I mean, congratulations to you on being uh, someone who made a lot of people realize they were gay and yet somehow not gay yourself. Love is love. <laughs> We've got a great episode for you guys today, and it's going to be just as streamlined as this opening. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, later we're going to get into trigger warnings, which um, is actually something that uh, we have an email about. So I'll read the email and then we'll get into uh, the topic of trigger warnings. But um, just want to say I appreciate that email. So that will come up later. And when we return from break, we're going to be answering a listener's question. So make sure you stick around. We're back, and you know what that means. Hit it! International question! International question! International question! Courtney, unknown. Unknown. I added unknown. They didn't put that. They didn't put that, but they didn't put where. So (laughs) I thought that'd be, I wanted to add something for the song. I, I got it. Okay. TLDR is my lack of a reaction to a breakup okay wow I love that question I know I mean (laughs) we'll say sure but let's get into your actual question Courtney 
Hi, Allison and Gabby. First of all, I love the show. Second, I have an international question that I was hoping to get your advice on. I was recently broken up with by a man I love very much. We have been dating for a little over a year and have been each other's partner for all the madness that 2020 and honestly, most of 2021 has thrown our way. He had been a little distant over the last few weeks, so I wasn't too surprised when he told me that he had been having doubts about our relationship and didn't see a future with me. It's been about two weeks since we broke up, and while I'm still very sad, I'm generally fine. (laughs) Here's the issue. While I'm glad I'm not totally despondent, a small part of me is worried why I'm not more upset. When I've been dumped in prior relationships, my reactions have been much more dramatic. I would spend months on end absolutely heartbroken. I would cry, listen to sad music every night. My diaries from those time periods are both depressing and hilarious. Is this growth and maturity? Am I just more experienced and better equipped to handle rejection? Or is this a sign that I am jaded and will never feel love in the same sort of pure, innocent, dramatic way that I used to feel before I had my heart broken multiple times? Please help. That scene in Call Me By Your Name with the dad talking about going emotionally bankrupt by the time you're 30 scarred me. Best, Courtney. P.S. I thought Allison might appreciate my recent airport experience. I'd had been staying with my ex in another city while my job was remote. After the breakup, I had to fly with my cat back to where I live. I was very stressed out in the lead up with this as my cats are generally not great at traveling. Everything seemed to be going totally fine until I tripped getting into a taxi to leave the airport and broke my finger. Oh, oh no. my God. Uh, wow. Every, this is like your tether, I think. Okay. So first of all, that scene in Call by Your Name is incredible. Can you explain a little bit more what it was so for people who, who don't recall it or haven't seen it? Sure. So it's this incredible actor named Michael Strolberg. I think I'm pronouncing his name correctly. He plays the father and he's basically a stool barge. He is saying that it's OK that the Timothy Chalamet character has this sexual relationship and um, with uh, this man and talks about like, you know, opening your heart to love and is basically giving his blessing on on his son being queer. But. It's just this very, you just have to see it. But it talks about as you get older, things affecting you less and being less dramatic and and being less heartbreaking. And I do think that that can be true. I don't think you should force yourself to have feelings about something that you don't have feelings about. And also, I feel like you're really playing with fire here, Courtney, because you're like, I guess I don't get sad anymore. Oh, well. And then like the next person who walks into your life is going to decimate you so like don't bring that don't manifest that energy like don't bring that to you like just be grateful and move on so i picked this question because i have been feeling a little bit like this where i'm like obviously i'm still upset but like i do feel like i have recovered from this Mm -hmm. faster than i anticipated in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. and so part of me is like is that weird will people think that's weird does that mean that this relationship meant less to me than I thought that it did? No. Is something wrong with me? <laughs> no. Um, yeah. And so and like, so obviously, like, I understand, like, where these questions are coming from. And honestly, one of the things that I think about a lot is when I was interviewing a therapist for my book, I actually think it was my psychiatrist who said this, where basically, like, the goal is that, like, we're always going to have dips in our mental health. Mm -hmm. but ideally those dips become less deep right and so i think that might be similar with heartbreak too Mm -hmm. where like you're still going to you know and and obviously like 
if you're married to someone for 30 years and then you get divorced, like that's just going to hit in a different way because like your life is going to be uprooted and like affect your life in a much bigger way than just the heartbreak itself. Yeah, I don't know how much it has to do with the person versus like where you are in your life. But I'm, I'm just saying that, like, I think that there, at least for me, there was this element of like, oh, I have been through this type of pain before. Yep. There was something to like, okay, I, this is familiar to me. Mm-hmm. I have experienced this. Like, obviously it was a lot worse because I was engaged. Mm-hmm. I was much closer to Jake than I've ever been to anyone else in my entire life. I felt a level of safety with him. I had future planning with him in a way I had with nobody else. It was a relationship unlike any other relationship I'd ever had. But the feelings of rejection, the feelings of loss, the feelings of hurt were all feelings I had felt before. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know, like I had like some calluses built up in a way. You had the vocabulary, you had the calluses, you had like, you had almost like a triage set up. Like you, I think like when you're, this is why like, Romeo and Juliet were like 13. Like you think things are so intense that like aren't at a certain point. And then I think when you get older, you trust yourself more or you have like just even just having been through something before can provide you with like the tools and the foresight, right? Like, you know, you're going to be upset. But I mean, you think you tweeted this, Allison, being like, I was going to be upset for how long will I be upset? Three months. Oh, I was upset for three months. Like you just know. I wasn't even upset. I knew I was going to be miserable, miserable. for three months. Like I knew that three, I knew that for three months I was going to be miserable. Right. And I was, mm-hmm. you know, and like now it's like been over four months, but like for those first three months, I was miserable. I think also there's this sense of like, I think with the first few heartbreaks, there is the sense of like, will I ever be okay again? Yes, because you're not sure. Find someone. Will I ever find someone again? Will I ever be okay again? Will my Will I ever enjoy life again? And just having the history of like, yes, I will. Like, (laughs) there is something like empowering about that. So even though it sucks in that moment, just knowing that like you will be okay, (laughs) you know, like that's gonna help. And I would also say that just based on what you said in that email, if he was distant to you in those few weeks. You yeah. are probably grieving the relationship already, mm-hmm. you know, so like you were probably processing it while you were still in it a little mm-hmm. bit. And so that might have helped you out a bit, too. Mm-hmm. And so it's hard. It's like I think that we have this tendency to judge our feelings and right. I think it can be really detrimental and unnecessary. Yeah. I mean, some relationships that were like very short have like very intense lingering uh, traumas mm-hmm. on you mm-hmm. and some that were very long I was with Gumbelman for like three years I don't think of that as like being awful or like the breakup as being so 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 awful whereas like you know there are other people I dated for much shorter who I was much more upset about and that's maybe largely one of the reasons why Gondelman is still one of my best friends I don't think it's so much about the person even though I was younger when I was with Josh it's about where you are at that particular time in your life and also like the perspective that you have and also the way that that person treated you. Maybe this guy and you just like, it was like good. And then you broke up and like, that's normal. I also think a lot of times what you're grieving is the fantasy. Yeah. So sometimes with shorter relationships, you end up grieving it more because you never even got to experience this thing that you had 
been fantasizing about. Yeah. So like in your head, maybe it's somebody that you had wanted to date for so long or like you had like thought, oh, I can't wait to go on this trip with them. I can't wait to have them meet my family. I can't wait to like celebrate mm-hmm. an anniversary with them. And then you never get to do any of those things. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of like grieving that. Where with this guy, it's like you got to quarantine with him. You got to spend every moment of every day with yeah. him, you know, and like maybe like you guys both sort of like tired out of each other. Like you kind of like overdid it with each other a bit. And so honestly, now that I'm saying it out loud, I think maybe a big part of the reason of why you're not grieving this is because of how much time you guys spent together in quarantine. Yeah. And I wonder if like you had broken up in a time that wasn't after just spending like 24 seven together, (laughs) you know, like maybe you guys like honestly just probably like needed some space from each other in the first place. Like, I don't think every breakup has to be such a a saga, a a Mm -hmm. sad thing, uh, whatever. When me and I was seeing that guy, Sam, and when when he and I split up, we were like literally at a bar and we were just like, good day to you. Good day to you. Like it was Mm -hmm. it was so fine. Like, and I think like sometimes people think like, well, if it's not this huge, like emotional thing, did we even ever enjoy each other or like each other or love each other? And like you did. It just doesn't always have to be this like movie thing, you know, which right. also I think is why people act certain ways in relationships that they don't even really feel that like it's OK to be in a relationship for a while where you're just like, this is for a while. If that's what you want. You don't have to like make every relationship be like, and you're the one, you know, right. sometimes you can just be like, we were together for a year. It was great. We, we parted ways. I just think that you have to be on the same page about. That. Well, yes, of course. <laughs> yes. So I think it gets tricky when one person is approaching it as like, and we're passing the time together. And the other person is like, we're heading towards a future together. Oh, of course. Of <laughs> yeah. course. But I just think sometimes people who are in the first camp who are just like, we're spending time together. If it's both of those people, there can be like this expectation that like, oh, you maybe you didn't even really, it was a waste of time. You didn't even really like each other because you're not so upset. Mm -hmm. But that you can view this as a meaningful thing in your life without being upset about it. Right. And I also think, you know, how you feel right now might not be how you feel in a month. Oh, oh yeah. So like, you know, Mm -hmm. like give yourself the grace to realize that like grief, like most things are not linear. Mm-hmm. And so like right now, like you might be feeling like sometimes, especially if this guy was like being distant to you, like you might be feeling like a sense of relief and mm-hmm. like and that might be with you for a few weeks. And then a month from now, maybe you will miss him more. And that's yeah. OK, too. You know, like I would just sort of be checking in with yourself and be like, oh, and then make sure that you don't then judge yourself. if Those feelings do change. Yeah. (laughs) Like all of it is normal. It's normal to not miss him. It is normal to miss him. Like how I feel about my ex changes on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. And like sometimes I'm like, it's so weird that I don't miss him at all. And then the next day I'll be like, oh, I do miss him today. What's that about? And like Mm -hmm. another big thing I had to realize was that like there was a really big difference for me between missing him as a person and then missing that stage in my life. Yep. So like, I'm still really grieving no longer being an engaged person. Right. So like, that sucks. I was like, in a stage in my life that I'm no longer in anymore. Right. And like, that I think I'll be grieving for much longer than I'll be grieving him. Someone that I've dated, like, very briefly, is like, a person who like, fucked me up the most. Mm -hmm. And it's like, what? Who? Are you kidding me? Who you dated briefly? Who I dated a little, I would, uh, 
Guys, I will not be taking questions at this time, but Josh Groban <laughs> did fuck me up and I will not be taking, oh. there will be, no, I will not be taking any questions. Uh, that wasn't that is- brief. That was like a year. But it felt, okay, I guess it was a year, but it's, <laughs> but like, was it a year? I don't know. It felt, it felt like it wasn't that long you of a time. We didn't see each other that often. We did, but it wasn't that long of a time compared to other things. But that goes back to like someone who is just promising and promising and promising right. and being like, this is serious. This is serious. This is serious. And then like was saying that to 11 other people. Mm-hmm. Um, shout out to the 11 other girls that he was dating while also dating me. Guys, maybe one day we'll di- do a deep dive into this on the podcast. <laughs> but for now, uh, fuck that guy. So I just think, you know, you don't have to put pressure on yourself to feel, oh, like even in the opposite direction, right? Like, oh, we were only together for three months. Why am I so sad? Mm -hmm. Because that's the breaks, baby. And like, I think that this idea of like how you feel now will predict how you feel in the future. Again, not true. So much is context. So much is what else is going on in your life. Mm -hmm. So much is like, are you secure in your job? So maybe like if you were broken up within a time when you weren't secure in your job, then that breakup would be even like would be more unsettling because then your entire life would feel unsettled, you know? Right. So I really don't think that it's a smart idea to sort of like dissect all of that. I think instead just like check in with yourself, monitor it, see how am I feeling today? Okay, I feel this way. Check in about when do I feel ready to date again? When do I feel healed? When do I feel like is this someone I want to keep in my life as a friend? Is this someone I don't want to keep in my life mm-hmm. as a friend? But take away the judgment part of it all. I hate this idea that like love should be something that just like drives you wild. I hate <laughs> you know? it. I fucking like, hate, and it. That I just, hate like, it. And that if you're just not like a, a mess, then it's not hate real it. and that it's not good. Like to me, and, and again, people operate in different things and people have different values and For some people, passion is their main goal. And that's the main thing that they're looking for in a relationship. That's not my main value. Is it passion or is it just like recreation of abuse and conflict tactics that you saw in your original family unit? Ask yourself that. And I think a lot of times this chasing of like first love, teenage love, you have to understand that your brain was not fully developed. This chasing of like how you felt when you were a teenager it's unrealistic because your brain was simply different. <laughs> Remember that email that my high school boyfriend sent me? Yes. <laughs> oh, mama mia. That's a spicy one. Yeah. So like, I think, I think a lot of people idolize their first love when they were like 16, but it's something and they're like, why can't I recreate it with my current partner? And it's like, oh, because your frontal lobe has now fully formed. Yeah. You literally can't recreate it unless like you were on mind altering drugs. <laughs> Yeah, (laughs) Um, like, no, I haven't spoken to you in 12 years. I do not want to get back together. um, But thank you for the email. (laughs) So I, you know, I would sit down with yourself and think about what is it that you really are looking for? And is it just like feeling like a rush of of chemicals running through your body? Or is it finding somebody who you feel safe with finding somebody who's a good partner, finding somebody who is someone you can trust, someone you can build a life with, someone if you want to have kids would be a a good parent, somebody who like you wouldn't get bored with uh, if you traveled the world with, you know, like don't also don't feel like, oh, my God, if I'm not sad, then like, I don't know if you just want to have a bunch of relationships where you're not sad in a row, have at it. 
I think a lot of people chase like their that first love feeling, and I think sometimes that really gets them to for, to be perpetually disappointed. And think about how everything else in your life has changed as you grow up. So wouldn't your relationship to romantic relationships change too? Yeah. And stop emailing your high school girlfriend trying to get back together with her right before your wedding. Guys, we don't have time for that story either. <laughs> there, I have lived a wild life. And you people who listen to this podcast know a fraction of it. I think a, they know most a of true, it. Mm, a true fraction. I think they, you, you share a lot. Not I shouldn't have shared that. I don't know who listens to this, but anyway, it's fine. They're happily married. Oh, God. (laughs) Hopefully that was helpful. If you want to submit your international question, you can send it to just between us pod at gmail.com. That's just between us pod at gmail.com. Stick around after the break. We're going to be talking about trigger warnings and the right way to use them. Back to just between us. It's time for topics. X X X X X X X baby <laughs> baby. Okay, so let's get into an email that we received. It was very flattering in many parts, but I'm just gonna read the gist of it, which was that I'm really glad that Gabby understands the importance of using content warnings before discussing something triggering. But you can't just say content warning and then say the thing. You have to specify what the content warning is for. For those of you who listen to the podcast a lot, today's topic is trigger warnings. (laughs) Yeah. And so apparently I do a thing where I go trigger warning and then I just say the thing. And so basically this listener was saying, you know, I say trigger warning all around or I don't necessarily say what the trigger warning is for. And I also am not giving enough time between what I'm the trigger warning that I'm giving to then allow the person to take action that would benefit them from the trigger warning. I also wanted to read another part of this person's call in that is unrelated. But this person said, I know this will have been a slip up, which is understandable, but there is no such thing as a female bodied person. I have a vagina and tits, but nothing about my body is female because I'm a trans guy. A better phrasing for what you were saying would have been a person who was assigned female at birth, a person with a vagina or a person socialized as a woman. I'm sure other trans people have different opinions on this, but that was something that they wrote in. And I I knew when I said it that it was wrong, but I just my brain was like, I forgot the right way to say that. So I'm glad that this person called me in about it and I wanted to read their call in. Can and you say what, what a call in is versus a call out? Oh, sure. A call out would have been this person like going on Twitter and being like, cancel the JBU podcast because of this. I think a call in, it's a little more work, but it assumes like good faith of the person. Mm-hmm. And so it goes to them first to be like, hey, this is this thing. I'm like not an expert. That is a very general description of what a call-in is. I think it's lovely. Thank you for that on the uh, use of me talking about pregnancy where I said female-bodied person. I do appreciate that. And if anybody else felt that same way, I was happy to read this so that you know that that I understand and that people are, are telling me. So this prompted an investigation and a talk between me and Allison about trigger warning and content warnings. One thing that is going to be happening is from now on, when we do trigger warnings in the descriptions of the show, we're going to put timestamps because I think that is very relevant. And I think sometimes people want to listen to the show, but they don't want to listen to that one particular part, but they don't want to miss the whole episode. 
So we are going to be adding timestamps. And also, I'll try not to do my colloquial thing that I do, which is just go trigger warning and then say whatever I want. Because, Gabby, come on. I've been having a reckoning with trigger warnings, too, just um, in terms of my book and in terms of when to use them, how often to use them with Mm -hmm. the content, because we're working with my editor and and we had like a, a bias read of the book. And so in my book, Trigger Warning Self-Harm. Okay, so. <laughs> that, exactly. <laughs> I, think, I think that's yeah. correct. But right? we also to have give the timestamp. We'll yeah. timestamp. Okay. And so in my book, there's multiple mentions of self-harm, trigger warning, suicide ideation. So there's multiple mentions of, of self-harm and suicide ideation. And so we, we were sort of discussing like, okay, so do we do one up top so we sort of decided like okay at the beginning of the book there will be sort of just like an overall like yes in this book there will be discussions of of these topics and just so you know and then one of the chapters opens with me talking about cutting myself in college with razor blades right and to me that is a really significant moment in the book because I have self-harmed my entire life. I don't self-harm anymore, really. But since I was a toddler, I've used self-harm as a way to calm myself down with like pinching and hitting. But for the the first time I cut was in college following a breakup. And so that specificity was really important to me to signify that this breakup is what caused me to amp up my self-harm. Of course. It's called a bias read, but basically it means like a sensitivity read. Yeah. Her suggestion was to remove that language and just say self-harm. Yeah. And I was basically like, I need to have it say what it said because like it was important to the context of the story. But basically we decided like in that chapter, it will also have an additional trigger warning. Yeah. At the top of that chapter. Yeah. You know, and so like we had an additional trigger warning there. And then there was another area where I said, something that was like more explicit and there was this debate of like do we keep that language do we not and and like for me a big part of it is normalizing the use of that language Mm -hmm. because I think especially around self-harm there is so much stigma still around it yeah where people feel like they can't talk about that and I feel like a lot of the book is about open communication with your partner, being able to tell your partner about your mental health history. And if you feel like you can't tell them about your self-harm history, Mm -hmm. then you're not openly communicating. And so it is this thing of like, well, what do you say? What do you not say? Where do you Mm -hmm. put in the trigger warnings? Where do you not put in the trigger warnings? And so it is like this interesting balancing act. Yeah. Your book is about mental health. Right. Also... With specifics, I understand this pushback on specifics. I also think that in order for people to understand how painful something is, in order for people to understand just how important and immediate and how much it should be taken seriously in a mental health context, I think they have to be a little shocked. The way in which sometimes to, I mean, if they if they want to, but mm-hmm. the way in which, the way in which you are able to like, 
I don't know. I just think the way in which you're able to like be specific allows for people to stop shielding themselves and thinking like, you know, like maybe my parents would have taken more action and helped me more if they Mm -hmm. had been privy to the specifics of my self-harm. You know, like I, I think like sometimes gentling something doesn't allow for people to get the help that they they really need. That's really interesting. I was listening to um, Maintenance Phase, which I've talked about before, which is... I love that show. Yeah, it's an excellent podcast about fat shaming and food and dieting. The wellness industry, sort of. The wellness industry. They did an episode about eating disorders. And one of the big things they talked about was that everyone just thinks like eating disorder is like a skinny, cis, able-bodied, straight white girl who Mm -hmm. is just like restricting calories so daintily or whatever. And like by showing the realities of like, no, this is like this. And I I won't go into it because it's in that episode. But these are the actual like dangerous, harmful, scary, ugly parts of this, I think allows in that in that context, it was saying that it allowed for doctors to understand that people in fat bodies are it is possible for them to have eating disorders. In fact, most most people who have eating disorders are actually in bigger bodies than you would typically imagine from media, from all media, and that you're able to recognize the actual symptoms Mm -hmm. uh, in the people that actually need help. And so in that regard, I got to think that like, I got to think that like, it's necessary to put a trigger warning, but also it's also necessary to do it. Yeah. And so I was sort of like looking into the history of trigger warnings and the effectiveness of trigger warnings. And there's sort of like two camps where trigger warnings happen. Mm -hmm. So one is academia. Yeah. And this happens in class where so one is like the use of it in in academia where like uh, my teachers often will say, "Okay, so we're about to watch a video. It might be triggering for you. It will be about this and this. And if you Mm -hmm. need to step away from the computer, that's totally fine. If you need to do some grounding exercises, please do. It's about five minutes long. You can come back afterwards. And basically there was a study done that (sighs) negated the usefulness of trigger warnings in academia. Mm. Because in a lot of ways, it's sort of defined the person by their trauma. Oh. And so in some sense, it made people feel like it sort of heightened their anxiety leading into it. And so there is some debate of like the usefulness of trigger warnings in Mm -hmm. academia and the potential that it could be harmful. In the sense that you just like causing you to be like, I identify with this is like actually worse. Sort of of like, you know, seeing themselves as like, oh, reminding myself that I am a victim of this. I am different. I am singled out. Yeah. My main identity is being a victim of this type of trauma. Oh, man. And it sucks. And so it's interesting. and, And like there's some debate there. Then there's trigger warnings in social media. And I think that it really holds value there because in that situation, I think the purpose is for the person to then be like, oh, great. I don't want to engage with this content right now. Correct. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I think that it's really important to use in social because a lot of times in academia, it's like you're probably still going to engage with it anyway because it's like you're it's going That's your to class. be it's your class you know yeah. like sometimes you won't because it is too much or you need to step away but like for the most part you're maybe going to push yourself to go through with it and you're going to read the article you're going to watch the video it's going to be on the test it's like you know what i mean yeah you're gonna yeah, engage yeah, with yeah, it. yeah yeah or you're like tonight's my trauma class i know that i'm going to be gear up 
gear yeah. up, you know, but like for social media, it's the middle of the day. You're just scrolling through Twitter. Like, right. I don't want to read about sexual mm-hmm. assault right now. Mm-hmm. So I think in social media, trigger warnings are excellent and really important because it can be incredibly destabilizing. It can be very triggering. And then you get to decide if you want to engage with that content in that moment. It's so interesting for people that are like anti-trigger warning because ratings and movies are trigger warnings. They're not new. Mm -hmm. There's a reason you don't allow a 12-year-old to watch an R-rated movie because you can reasonably assume that there are things in that movie that would not be good for them. Or the same people who wanted to put labels on all the, you know, rap albums for language or whatever are then like, what are you, a snowflake? Like, (laughs) it's the same people. Mm -hmm. Like, we have trigger warnings in life all day long throughout life. You just don't, don't view them as that. So they're not something you can use as a weapon to be like, you're a snowflake. They have always existed. They exist all the time. If you like go to a play and you read the description of the play ahead of time, you can reasonably assume what's going to happen in the play. You know what I mean? Like it's just this, a review, a review of a play will tell you things that happen in the play. That's what reviews are. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just this very, like, very rarely do you go into something completely not knowing what it's going to be about. So then the idea of being like, oh, trigger warning, this new annoying thing. It's like, have you ever read a play review? You've been trigger warned. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> have you ever read a movie review before you went to see if it has things in it that you would like or don't like? Congratulations. That's a content warning. Also, it's so easy. It's like one of those things where how much is it truly taking from you to put that up in your tweet and then add a couple spaces before you start to talk about the thing? You know, I mean, it's interesting for stuff that I didn't know. But mm. like, you know, I just posted... I went and fed my friend snake. I was going to post a picture of the snake and my mom said, please put a trigger warning on the snake or else I will unfollow you, which was aggro. But I was like, okay. So I put a warning on the snake before I posted. I put like a picture of me holding the snake and I blocked out the snake first. And then the next slide, you could see the snake. And I said, my mom made me do this because she said she would unfollow me if she had to see a picture of a snake. And the amount of people that were like, thank you. Really? And I was like, oh, like I had no idea that like snakes were a thing. And then Mal told me too that like a lot of times like posting pictures of your food is like not that great because or without like a slide in front of it because sometimes people have like, you know, obviously like eating issues or food issues or sometimes like posting like meat can be really like uncomfortable for people. You learn like I just didn't know. Mm -hmm. And so I think like I am with you that like I don't feel good about shocking people. So if my mom doesn't want us to have to see a snake when she opens Instagram, then God damn it, Karen Grainer should not have to see a snake. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I guess I guess it's sort of like now it's the conversation of like what falls under triggers, you know, I don't think you can be mad at someone for not knowing. I really don't like not obvious ones like like food or meat or snake or whatever. Like Mm -hmm. you can't be mad, but you can point it out. And then it's up to the person to decide if they care. I don't like pictures of people with things up their noses. I don't like it. It gives me like full body chills. I hate it. I unfollowed an actress that I really like because she posted a picture with a chopstick up her nose. I couldn't handle it. And that's like a me thing. And God damn it. Everyone posting their COVID test was like a nightmare, a nightmare (laughs) because I hate anything where something goes up someone's nose. I can't deal with it. I didn't know this about you. I fucking hate it. What was it like getting COVID tests? 
It's funny because it's literally like, hey, there's a global pandemic. Also, the only way to test for that pandemic is literally the one weird thing that you hate. Go. Oh, I knew you were afraid to get it, actually. Horrified. Um, yeah. Horrified. Yeah. Full nightmare. Literally, like, they. I wish it was an anal option. Like, I wish they could have <laughs> got up my asshole rather than up my nose. And that's the truth. And so I was like, whatever, upset about it. I wouldn't go and be like, I need everyone to not post picture. You know what I mean? That's like a me thing. Do you think there are some universal things that people should? Absolutely. Yes. What would you put in those categories? Uh, rape, sexual assault, e- eating stuff in all capacities. I think mm-hmm. also like transphobia, like someone mm-hmm. being violently transphobic or homophobic. People are like, uh, trigger warning. That's going to make that person like feel bad. No, that's not what that means. That means it will derail that person's entire day. That means it will like have physical uh, emotional and like physiological reactions. I have stuff around like abusive relationships. And when the thing was going on with Army Hammer and all these people were making jokes about Army Hammer being abusive, I like disassociated from my body for like two days mm. because I just, it was everywhere. I would like space out and then be like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I just like totally left my body and was like terrified. Mm. I don't know. There's there's a lot more to it than I think. I think people are just like, oh, you just don't want to see this. And it's like, no, my mom doesn't not just want to see a snake. If my mom sees a snake, she will faint. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I think people don't understand the extent that these things can cause people's reactions, like the level of reaction people can have to it. And it'll cause thought loops, which is what this person wrote in about. I mean, I have a lot of stuff around suicidal ideation. A thought loop can start and it'll keep going. Mm-hmm. eating stuff. It just, it's not like in the moment you're like, oh, I didn't want to see that. It's like now the loop has started mm-hmm. and it's really hard to get out of. So if you can avoid it, avoid it. Yeah. What are your thoughts, Melissa? Yeah, this is something that's something that I think about a lot, more so for other people, just because like with the meat thing, I thought about like during the early days of quarantine, everybody was posting what they were cooking at home. And I knew that well, one friend in particular, like she's vegan and like the side of meat squirms her out. So I put a trigger warning before I posted the pit. It takes like two seconds to be thoughtful towards mm-hmm. someone else. Some people might see it like policing what your own thoughts that you're putting out. But whatever, if it's going to help somebody for two seconds, great. Mm-hmm. I also think a really important one is to trigger for trigger warning for flashing lights Yes, because yeah, my epilepsy. sister has epilepsy too. And um, so, so I you just really, don't do that anymore. Yeah, yeah, you really, really need to be aware of that one. I think it also comes down to knowing different types of people too. Like maybe yeah. stepping outside of your bubble and understanding that these are actual real people. So like you might be like, oh, a vegan. Bleh. But then you're like, no, my one friend. Or like I have a friend with schizophrenia who I know a specific trigger of hers. And when I see other people posting it, I'm like, God, they're not even thinking of that. Mm-hmm. but I know sometimes in my mind, I'll see it and I'll go, oh God, like if so-and-so saw this, it would be so bad. Mm-hmm. But I'm I'm not her and she knows how to take care of herself and all of that, but it makes me aware of what I post, mm-hmm. knowing this one person. So I think maybe sometimes if you're like skeptical about a trigger warning, really try to read about or talk to someone who ha- ha- like, you know, just try to like be like, okay, what would it be like if I was that person? Mm-hmm. And then I think also if you do get called in about something, The instinct will be like, oh, my God, I'm a terrible person. Yeah. Or this is stupid. Yeah. But like if your instinct is, oh, my God, I'm a terrible person. Be like, oh, no, I just didn't know. Mm -hmm. And now I will 
change moving forward. You know, I think that there is this feeling of like, oh no, like I did this or, and so because it's so uncomfortable to feel like a terrible person, you'll then go, oh, this is stupid because you can't handle discomfort of feeling like a terrible person. Mm -hmm. But if you can just say, oh, I didn't know, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. And then you just adjust your behavior. Or you decide, you decide. We're now just in communication with far more people than we ever used to be. Correct. So we're going to be learning a lot more and we're going to be exposed to a lot more than we were before. And like, how would you know until you're exposed to that? And also, if you think if you're like, this is stupid, then you don't have to change what you're doing. But people can tell you that they don't like it. And if something if you think like, no, like, well, like grow up, like everything in life is like there's things that you always have to see in life, blah, blah. Again, I urge you to look around at like the ability to make choices that 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 does happen in real life. You don't walk into every store because maybe you look at the outside of the store and go, I don't like what's in that store. There are aware you're aware of what you're going into and walking into and seeing like most of the time. I took a friend of mine to a, a taxidermy store and I, we were walking around. And I was like, oh, I want to go into this store. And he's a vegan. And I was like, I'm going to go in the store. And he was like, OK, well, I'm not. I'm going to wait outside. Mm-hmm. I don't go, you fucking snowflake, like get in the store, you know, like in you when you go, when people think like have resistance to content warnings and they go, well, this doesn't happen in real life. It really truly does though. Mm-hmm. And then they have every right to unfollow you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like they don't need to then engage with your content if, if your content is triggering to them. Just like you don't walk into a restaurant that you don't want to, you know what I mean? Like turn on your TV, you see a, a show on that might have something you don't want to see in it, you turn it off. Like mm-hmm. trigger warnings and content warnings is just a word for like choosing what to engage with. I don't want to put a cover on my movie because People should just watch it blind and deal with what they see. No, baby, that's why there's the that's why there's cover art and a rating and a description on the back of the movie. Am I making sense? Yes. Yes. I think <laughs> this is a great analogy. Thank yeah. you. What do we rate this episode? I rate it um, 11 out of 10 PG-13s. Sometimes I won't watch something because it's PG-13. I don't know why. Like, what do like, you mean? I, I want R. That's what I was going to say. It's not hard enough for you. <laughs> it Well, it changed in the 80s because yeah, PG-13 was invented in the 80s. So a lot of PG-13 movies are actually just kind of our movies. Yeah. And then so many of my favorite movies are PG-13. It's like yeah. this weird reluctance I have where I'm like, it's for children. And sometimes it's just because like it's rated PG-13 because they took it fuck out of it right like, exactly. just one fuck mm-hmm. <laughs> it's very silly i yes. should not be like this <laughs> well what do you rate it allison i will rate it 64 out of 59 dr peppers sick nice <laughs> that's a real callback yeah we've been all over the place today it really has and i just want to say that i thoroughly enjoy you guys Aww, i really do like bring a smile to my face you. oh my god sitting here giggling you guys can't see me but i was laughing the whole time oh thank you yeah so i'm gonna give this 37 out of 20 good days to you good day to you well i'm gonna cry i'm just i'm just so happy not to be doing my schoolwork. oh my god <laughs> and now you have oh my to. god 
Okay, well, thank you so much for listening. Come back on Friday. We'll be joined by Elaine Cheryl asking some tough questions about the art of handwriting analysis. It's the greatest interview of all time. Please join us. It's maybe one of our best episodes. (laughs) Yeah, please, please, please listen to it. It's so fun. Just Between Us is a Forever Dog production hosted by me, Allison Raskin. And me, Gabby Dunn. Produced by Melissa D. Montz. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. Brendan Burns composed our killer theme music. To listen to this podcast ad-free, sign up for Forever Dog Plus at foreverdogpodcast.com slash plus. Check out video clips of our podcast on YouTube at youtube.com slash foreverdogteam or youtube.com slash show. And make sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Forever Dog Team to keep up with all the latest Forever Dog news. You can also follow at JBU Podcast on Instagram and Allison at at Emotional Support Lady and at Allison Raskin and me at at Gabby Road and at BWM Pod, my new Instagram for the Bad With Money podcast. Bye! Forever! Yeah.